40k book club this is episode number seven in which we're discussing sphere of the emperor by aaron densky bowden i'm jen bozier and i'm carrie honey and this is warhammer 40k book club where we read from a crag every episode we discuss a book that we've selected from the black library's warhammer 40,000 catalog we post the book on our website wh40kbookclub.com along with questions to ponder during reading listeners are able to t- read the book and then tune in to hear our discussion and and we encourage participation through Twitter, the site, or Encrypted Box channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read the book, go ahead and visit the site, check out the book, and then come back and visit this post. We'll be discussing the book from start to finish in great detail. As mentioned this episode, we're discussing Spear of the Emperor by Aaron Jemsky Bowden. This book is about a, how would you describe them? A very reclusive chapter on the other side, aka the wrong side, of the rift. An emissary from a the Mentor Legion has been sent to see the status of the other side of the rift. We posed several questions for us to ponder. Let's dive in. First off, did you like the book? No. Oh, sadness. Um, it didn't. I did. I was not even interested in the book until page one ninety seven. It is a slow burn. It's not a slow burn. It's a turtle burn. I think for me, I compared it to, and this is going to be a semi-dated reference, but I'm hoping that we have enough fellow nerds out there. Um, The 1984 cinematic classic, Dune. Uh, If you've ever seen Dune, the first time you watch it, it is so painfully slow. Like, it is so slow. And then you get to the end and all of a sudden Paul is riding into war on these giant sandworms and people are dying and stuff is happening and Patrick Stewart's yelling atomics. And then it becomes the greatest science fiction movie to come out of the 80s. And so in hindsight, then I really liked it. And I was like, oh, it's okay that it's a slow burn. This book was like that for me. I think same with you. I was at like page 190 and I was like, and then once it picked up, it got my attention and the ending was so clever that I was like, ah, oh, I love this book. The ending was clever. It's hard to recommend it though. Um, it just, you know, uh, the movie Usual Suspects. Oh, I, love that movie. I do and I don't at the same time because it's one of those that it's another slow one. And, like, I remember doing laundry during watching it the first time. I was like, oh, my God, like, this needs to pick up. And then when it hits you who Kaiser Sosei is, then it's like, oh, my God, because then you want to watch the rest of the, watch the movie again so you can pick up on that. And then, yes, it becomes the greatest movie ever. I could recommend that for that. This, it's too slow of a burn. Um, there are some fantasy books that I have just quit reading because they were 600 page books and it took three to 400 pages to get into it. And the last 200 pages might've been the most exciting thing I've ever read, but I've already been burned by it. I'm already bored. Well, and you know, the funny thing for me is that this book is 296 pages. So 196 pages for those of us who can math. I mean, that's more than 50% of the book that's just kind of like, where are we going with this? I am infamous for saying that one of the things that I always hated about JRPGs was that people would be like, oh, you have to give it 10 hours before it gets good. And I'm like, "Mm -mm, you don't have me in the first hour. You're not getting me at all. 
So it's actually a little surprising to me that having said that, this book very much reminded me of one of my favorite books that I've read as of late uh, called Stiletto by Daniel O'Malley. It's the sequel to The Rook. It's very similar. Not as slow of a burn. It's like, as you're reading it, you're like, oh, there's actually stuff going on. A terrible way to word it, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm there's smiling because I am one of those people that for uh, RPGs, I'm like, you got to give it 10 hours. And that's mainly just because not only, I mean, yes, I do agree in the first hour, you got to get something to kind of get you. But it's not until 10 hours that you... Most of the combat, I'm saying most because we play JRPGs, sometimes you still learn stuff, you know, right before the final boss. You learn most of the combat, you learn most of the game mechanics, and usually the big hook, not the big hook, but one of the big hooks has happened. That's like, oh my god, this has got my attention. Um, so that's kind of where I am with RPGs. This was like 30 hours. Oh yeah, because it's a book, right? I mean... I don't think it took me 30 hours to read, but I mean, this is like one of those JRPG. I'm going to say a JRPG because they are the worst with this. They are the biggest offenders. 30 hours and be like, oh my God, this is so amazing. It's well, no, it's true because with the book, it definitely requires more of your attention. And I was reading this book in like 20 page sections for a few days there. because I was just like, cause it's boring. Okay. That's enough of that now. Um, and then, yeah, once I got to, I think actually for me, it was like page 150-ish or something like that. Once I got there, I could not put it down. But that's, it makes it hard to recommend. Like, I can't, I wouldn't recommend this book just wholeheartedly. Like, with Plague War or Dark Imperium, I'd be like, you have to read this book. Mm-hmm. This is a really good book, if you can handle a slow burn. Like, if you're willing to invest the time, the ending pays off. But so what parts did stand out to you after page 196? Well, no. Well, the big one that stood out to me was, you know, page 197. Of course, in my notes, I'm the idiot and this wrote page 197. It finally gets good. I'm like, God, I'm terrible. I need to. <laughs> oh, my so, God. So, you. I had, so I had to go back and look at it. And it was actually what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And it was when. Um, the head of the pure, Nar, I just like calling him Nar Gazar, Texas twang on that, so Nar Gazar, where he explains, that's where you learn that he, that the pure was the star scorpions. And, and he, you hear his last story, he's like, you know, we were trapped in the warp, in the Great Rift, we could not get out, we finally get out, and what happens? They shoot at us. They, they pull exterminatus on our home planet, yep. which I'm just like, and I believe him. I really do believe him. That's what happened because the Imperium kind of has a habit of doing that. Hey, shoot first, ask questions later. I mean, you can imagine. And the one thing that I like about the Imperium is that because of what we know about chaos and because of all of the books we've read, you can imagine how many times they got burned by being like oh oh sure it's fine so now they take no chances this is ten thousand years of this they take no chances right but it's just struck me brutal. as that so with that though with the pier yes they were in the warp or the great rift which is the warp Ooh. for so long but when he took off his armor there was no mutations 
there was nothing. So it was like he, they had been able to resist the temptation of the warp and they just wanted to oh. come back. Right. right. Um, but why that would call for the celestial lions and the spears to decide, let's just destroy a whole planet. Forget all those people that were there. I guess it was because they came back and were trying to recruit them and they just figured, oh, the tank is everywhere. No hope for this place. So we'll have to talk about, well, so we'll talk about that in a bit here when we talk about what we think the Celestial Lions questioned the Inquisition on. But for me, that stood out too. The whole thing with Narcazar. Actually, you know what? It's really hard to say that word. I would love to hear, if you're listening and you're in England, I'd love to hear how you say this word phonetically. Um, because even as I was reading it, like reading, reading it, even as I was reading it, I was kind of putting, because I grew up in the sticks, kind of putting my hick twang on it. It's just hard. Like, Nargazar, you can't say it without getting that twang on it. When you got a name that rhymes like that, I'm sorry. Pretty much. Um, one of the parts that stood out to me was very early in the book when Amadeus is asking about the Celestial Lions and Brayak tells him, that, oh, you know, the Inquisition has been slowly but surely plotting against them and trying to take them out. As he was saying it, Amadeus was like, oh, do you have any proof of this? And I was like, I don't need proof. That seems legit to me. Like, And then, of course, we know that later on, it's fully legit. Right. I liked that, especially in hindsight, I liked it because it's right then and there. That was pretty much Aaron Dembski voting, telling you how this book is going to end. Like, he basically told you who the bad guys are. And that that kind of stuff is delightful. And I loved Morcant, the cannibal. Oh, God, I couldn't stand him. Oh, God, I loved him. Because I love when she describes him. And he talks about how he smiled at someone. And she's like, when a cannibal smiles at you, it's more of a threat. I was like, that's just delightful. No, I couldn't stand him because of the way that he treated Anna. Especially yeah. when she came back. Well, I mean, like, they couldn't be too sure, right? That whole scene, by the way, and I think that's my, I can't remember what page it is, but I I had the opposite problem of you where I wrote down, like, the quotes and stuff that I like, but no page numbers. <laughs> where I was just like, this is amazing. Okay, you see this here, this one page there? That's all my notes. That's how little I like this book. Ouch. Yeah. Um, like I actually went back and wrote notes because I was like you know I think that what that witch had read to them might have been important I should make a note of that later oh yeah well so that's a thing too that I want to talk about here in a sec because it was one of my favorite parts as well was that so she meet so that's the line that I had I finally found that um picture i think or the page i think is 139 or something like that when she says that i was aboard the ship when the geller field failed and it's just the way that she says it and the way that she describes it is the most terrifying foreboding thing this that section when she describes the geller field failing how it felt how it looked and then everything that happens after that those like 10 pages it's a more successful and effective horror novel. And Carrie knows that I really, really like horror novels. 
it's probably one of the most effective sections of a horror novel I have read in probably a decade. Okay, see, I will agree with you there. And that one line, just like I was, you know, there or I was on the ship when the Gellerfield failed, I immediately thought, because the first five books of the Horus Heresy, there is always a line, I was there. Yes. It's, there's always one big line in there that says, I was I there was when there. this. Yeah. Yes. And it has that gravity to it, right? Where you're like, and I think that might be because of it too, because arguably one of the most famous lines from the Horus Heresy is, I was there the day Horus slew the emperor. Which is the first line yes. of Horus Rising. Yes. And, but it's so foreboding, right? So when she said it, I like got chills when I read that, when she was like, I was there when the Gellerfield failed. So. Well, not only that, but, <sighs> but, you know, knowing what you know, especially if you've read, um, gosh, like any of the books in the Horus Heresy, any other modern, modern uh, 40k books, and they talk about being in the warp and what goes on in the warp and how terrifying it is. That is a good horror story right there. I was there when the Gellerfield, Gellerfield failed. That's terrifying enough. Yeah. The other thing that I really liked about this book was, so she meets, um, oh shoot, I can't remember his name right now. The, uh, the captain. Shervon, of, that's how I pronounce his name. So she meets Shervon, who's one of the, successful slash failed primaris attempts he's um he's crippled special he's special i loved his character but he was a good character so she meets him and then like five minutes later the witch tells her to not trust the cripple and immediately i even the broken the broken man that's right and my husband was sitting in this chair and I said to him, because he had already read a book, I was like, oh, it's not going to be him. It's going to be the guy she's with, the hunchback. And my husband was kind of like, Ooh. and sure enough, it is him. Him. Right. Since. Well, I knew it couldn't be Shervon because it's one of those, it's like, that's too obvious. Way too obvious, right? But I wasn't exactly sure who it was. And it wasn't until... Um, I don't remember the Hunchback's name. When he, he, I'm doing air quotes here for those who are listening. He um, rips off her arm. Kartosh. Kartosh. Rips off Anna's arm and um, basically leaves her in Tiberia for, for dead. And that was the one thing. So the problem they were having was that with the Gellerfield failing, they were all seeing various things that they weren't oh, sure were... crazy i mean it really was like a, a a good horror novel it actually kind of reminded me a lot of um the tv series legion because one of the things with legion is because he's kind of got a psychosis in in the tv series the first season he's possessed he has the shadow king in him well that's gonna fuck anybody up and there's a lot of times where he questions is this real well that's kind of like what the whole thing is they don't know know what's real but for her and Tiberia to agree on, we saw Kartosh do this. It's like, okay, maybe that is real. But, you know, I still think the broken man, I'm not sure that really meant hunchback. I'm thinking, honestly, the broken, because uh, he ended up being, you know, one of those assassins that could contort their bodies. Calidus. Yeah, I think that's what the broken was more referring to. Kind of, but I mean, that's... 
that's kind of the allegory that she was speaking in, right? Mm -hmm. So along those lines, my last favorite part was on page 294, again, with the effect of horror, when she says that Tiberia is at the emperor's side. She wasn't there with skin of burning blood, clawing at the deck with talons of black fire and screaming for me to give Kartosh to her. Holy cow. I like the idea. So from reading Black Legion and the Talon of Horus, I truly believe that Tiberia was not there, nor was her father there. It was the warp playing tricks on what you wanted to see. Well, right, yes. going into your deepest, darkest desires. So part of her knows that Kartosh, like Tiberia, deserved to get revenge. So I'm sure that that was the warp playing tricks with her, but that's a hell of a thing. Right. So I, it's, yeah, as I said, I really did like this book at the end. <laughs> so the other thing that stood out to me, I almost texted you, but it was, I think it was like two in the morning. I probably would have responded. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I would have been like, I me too, going back to bed now. It's when um, she um, figures out how they can save Amadeus. And she's explained to them, she's like, so it's called the Cal Calgarian Rites. And I mean, like, what the shit happened to Marnie's Calgar? Maybe they just figured out. They were like, you know what? You deserve this. I hope, I hope. I need info. Like, I need a short story. I'm sure we're going to see it. I'm hoping he was either horribly injured and they figured it out. Or that they decided he deserved it and they wanted to try. Because the idea of them just being like. Is it safe on Marnius Calgorgar? Kind of don't make Marnius Calgar a lab rat. See, and I think it was the former. I think he got injured because, uh, like, I remember in Plague War, he was calling for not aid, but he was reporting that the that the uh, plague plague lords were yes. attacking. I forget which planet he's been on. There's too many planets, people, There's and of them, right? And uh, and Raboot said, oh, he's more than capable of handling himself. Well, maybe something happened there. And right. maybe Raboot doesn't hate Marnius the way Marnius feels that Raboot doesn't like him. I don't think he does. I don't think it's that either. I think um, I think he treated Marnius Calgar uh, unfairly. I um, A lot of it, but I... Marnius, a lot like the Emperor, treated some of his sons. The disapproving dad who doesn't really think about how it's you know how might affect other people with what he's yeah. saying what he's doing yeah uh, there could be you know a lot of that you know like we've discussed a lot about um the lion uh this week just because i finished reading um descent of angels and you know about how he's as you keep saying he's not a people person and i just kept asking kept wondering like why did he banish sahario like what did Zahariel do? He did all these right things and he still got rid of him. And your response was like, he most likely did it because Zahariel was a very powerful psyker and they needed someone to watch over Caliban. And the lion just probably assumed, well, they'll understand what well, I'm thinking. logical thing, so surely you'll Right. And that's not what happened, but because, you know, it makes me think of my comic Deathstroke where Wintergreen's telling everybody's like he's about to end the world because the man can't hug his children. 
It makes me kind of think of that with the lion yeah. and with the emperor. I think you could almost describe the entire Horus heresy like that. Because a man won't hug his children? Basically. Because, and because the lion did not hug his children, there was the rebellion on Caliban, and now we have, you know, the fallen and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I'm kind of seeing something with, with Reboot and Marnius, which is making, so it makes me think of something did happen to him, and they did decide, let's try this, see if we can save him. Right. Then I, so then I, I think, think, then I think that, about... rela that relationship will turn around. Oh, and yeah. from everything that's been, that they kind of laid out in this book, Reboot needs that relationship to turn around. Um, one thing I so will that's one thing I want to talk about really quickly. Right. Though. I was going to say, this one thing I did like about this book was that it was a good, um, I guess, hard for me to say this, like a good, um, like a setter, an environmental reset, I guess, of the Warhammer universe, of what is going on. Uh, just, you know, it's kind of saying, this is what has happened. This is what has been decided. This is where things are going. Right. So let's talk about that really quickly. So this book establishes, I think if you were to walk away from this book with nothing else, other than don't mess with the Inquisition, um, there are three very important things this book establishes. What? They can, in fact, upgrade people. They don't upgrade Uriel Ventress. I'm going to scream. And Pisanius. No, so I did go back and read. Um, I, I had to go back and double check this because I was like, I wonder if I'm exaggerating this in my mind because I haven't read the first Ultramarines Omnibus in like 11 years, 12 years, 13 years. So I haven't read it in 13 years. Uh, so I went back to double check on that one. Yeah, Pisanius, they describe him as being uh, head and shoulders above Uriel and that he was so big they had to cannibalize terminator armor tactical terminator armor for him so he's probably already the size of a primaris marine they just need to give him that that extra thing in between their hearts and it's gonna be fine <laughs> but so they've established that they can upgrade people and that was the freakiest scene when she talked when honorata talks about being in the infirmary and she can hear wood creaking and then it dawns on her that it's his bones growing mm. yeah mm. Uh -huh. But one thing I liked about that, though, is that, so they can do that, because uh, one thing I know that affected both of us from reading Dark Imperium was when, um, oh, Felix, when he said that he was feeling sorry for the non-Primates Ultramarines, because it's like, they don't realize that this is where Reboot is going, and he's not looking to them anymore. So this, I think, will also heal that rift. Hang on, we yes. made them bigger, better, stronger. We can rebuild them. So, 70s humor. Um, so that's important. And I think it's important because this book establishes something very important. There are Primaris Marines on the other side of the rift. There is no way that chaos has not gotten their hands on the Primaris Marines. There's just no way. They also talk about how notoriously difficult it is to get through the rift. One custody ship made it through with Primaris stuck for them. And so, they haven't been able to implement it correctly. It took them forever. Now, here's the thing. The Imperium is a little more hard-nosed about that. Chaos has a little more laissez-faire 
type of mentality, right? Where somebody like Saren wouldn't be necessarily so looked down upon because if you can put him in armor, he can fight. Um, it, it made me think very much reading her going through that tomb and seeing all of those mutated warriors really made me think of uh, the, again, the ultra, it all goes back to the ultramarines. Always the ultra does. It does with, with Metrangard, with the Daemon Kulaba, where they were mm. making, trying to make these like mutant super soldiers by breeding gene seed and genetically altered women. Chaos, and now they have the Primaris gene seed. Chaos is not above using people as guinea pigs. <laughs> like, they'll just start, yeah, it's not going to be good. So I think it's interesting that they confirmed, well, they didn't confirm that Chaos has it in their hands, but I would find it very doubtful that they don't, and they can upgrade people. Or maybe not that Chaos has it, but there's now the opportunity for Chaos to get it because... For it to fall into the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those are two very important things. I think we all kind of assumed that they were going to upgrade and <laughs> confirmed Marnius. Uh, the other thing that they establish is that Gulliman's basically planning on sacrificing half of the Imperium. Because, and on one hand, now... My husband will be the first to tell you if you're listening, don't worry, I understand he's going to try to evacuate that side of the rift, but we saw how easy it is to get over that side of the rift. And also, and more importantly, maybe 50%. Maybe 50% if, granted, because the Ultramarines are super effective and efficient, but you're maybe going to maybe evacuate 50%. You're sacrificing that half of the Imperium because it's no longer... You can no longer hold it. No, because um, they were saying, like, how many ships, because the Spears talking about how many ships they sent over, none made it through. Like, they were surprised, like, Amadeus was surprised that his ship made it through. And even then, that they had issues. too, yeah. yeah. Um, so we're talking, like, one successful ship. Um, so let's say that Reboot's like, you know, we can just keep on making all these Primaris Marines. Let's just throw half of the Ultramarines I mean, Ultramarines, let me just throw the Nova Marines, because they're all depressing anyway. Let's throw the Nova Marines out there. They already had half of their chapter destroyed. Let's just throw out the other half. Yeah. And and have them go through. So we're going to say maybe half of them will go through. Okay, so half of, so now we've got one-fourth of the Nova Marines have made it through. And they're going to try to evacuate people. Well, now, if you're going to cut it in half every time, now you got one-eighth of the Nova Marines you know, it's. Exactly. I under I understand why he. Gotta try. Right, and I understand why Reboot has decided we're gonna have to cut our losses because there's no way for us to get over there and help. Right, and I mean, it's much easier to focus fire on the half that you have a good foothold on than to keep dividing yourself like this, mm -hmm. right? So on one hand, I totally get it. Totally makes sense. And as we've always talked about, I think we've probably said a dozen times in those podcasts, the Imperium is very much an omelets and eggs type of mentality. Like, look, sometimes you got to sacrifice a couple million people to save billions. But it was really hard to read. And I think it was because, too, the way that Amadeus, which we'll talk more about 
this particular aspect in a minute, but the way that he just delivers it, like, well, this is happening, and this is as one does. And the he other is very pragmatic where, about it. He's like, this is very, how it is. There's no point in discussing it because there's nothing else we can do. And it's almost kind of like, because we had the same conversation, because you texted me, you're like, oh my God, this certain page. And I'm like, Chris, I was on vacation and I was like, I'm sorry, I got a mango margarita. I can't look at this right now. But then I did go look at it and I was like, oh, is it just because like the half the Imperium thing? Like, I wasn't really sure. And she's like, well, yeah, that's huge. I'm like, well, it makes sense. What are they going to do? And she's like, but th that's huge. I'm like, and? You know, kind of have that same pragmatic, like, oh, it makes sense to me. I mean, to be fair, it does. I'm just saying, I was like, holy cow. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. So, hmm. So, well, speak. I didn't really understand the magnanimity, I guess, of the Great Rift. I knew that it stretched the Eye of Terror much bigger, um, thanks to, you know, Cadia no longer being there. I know I can still hear somebody yelling, Cadia stands. Uh, but I didn't realize that it had effectively split the galaxy in right. half. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I kind of thought it was, you know... It was kind of important. Well, because you remember with the Indominus Crusade, it was to close the Indominus Rift. And that's just kind of what I thought this was. Yes, it's much bigger. It's it's huge. But surely they can figure a way to close it. I didn't realize it, it split the galaxy in half. Yeah. It was, it was kind of bad. Um, well, because again... And... So this kind of goes into our next question, talking about the Imperium. So... One of the things that they've tasked Aaron Dembski Bowden with is, I don't want to say fully retconning, but fleshing out chaos a little bit more because it's always been, I mean, for the longest time, he's been called Failbadon, you know, Terminator or failure wears Terminator armor, right? So they've tasked Aaron Dembski Bowden with going back and kind of retconning this and saying, kind of turning it into a giant Xanatos gambit. But this idea that no, he, he succeeded because you didn't understand his objective. He's been killing those pylons. And so then when he killed Kadia, right? But Aaron Dembski Bowden has spent a lot of time writing chaos and a lot of time writing Trader Marines. I still stand by one of my favorite books for like the last seven or eight years has been his Night Lord series. And so does this affect the way that he writes his loyalist legions and looks at the Imperium? Oh, I mean, I don't know how it can't. Um, you know, it doesn't read a flattering picture. No, I mean, especially when you read, like, you know, Talon of Horus, that it has such a um, measured and level-headed examples of, you know, traitor marines. Of course, then that all goes out the window with Black Legion because Abaddon just becomes Abaddon. But... <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. But, you know, I haven't read the Night Lord's Omnibus, um, so I can't, you know, answer fully, fully with that. But I mean, I can't, you know, when you write bad guys for so long, it's going to be hard to write about the good guys without and some. And one thing I've actually really liked about this universe is that it's not black and white. Like, I remember one of the jokes. Not as black and white as it looks. It's like, I remember this one joke or meme you sent me like years ago, and it was like, well, who are the good guys or bad guys here? It's like, oh, we don't do that here. We don't do that here. The Black Panther one. Yeah. yeah. Like, we 
Yeah, we, we just don't do that here. And it's very apparent in, in this book, Spear of the Emperor. Um, I could argue it's apparent in many other books that, uh, that I've read, not just the Horus Heresy, but you kind of see like some, hmm, I don't really know, you know, is that really the best? Especially when you look at some of the hive worlds these people live on. They're just like basically cranking people, using them to death for the good of the administratum. Uh, there, there's a lot of that. And um, there's only one thing I did like about one thing I did like about the Ravener series was that it really went into, it really dove into that, that yes, these people, like, this is like, the administratum is destroying these people. And the Ravener's just kind of like, yeah, well, we're, you know, we're doing our bit and then, okay, we're gone. Yeah. So I thought it was a great way of doing it. I'm not going to see, it's not exactly so perfect. But what the Inquisitors are doing is not exactly so perfect. And I think that with Aaron Dinsky Bowden, as he's written so chaos so long, he understands that the Imperium, he probably understands more than most other writers, that the Imperium is not perfect and the Imperium is not resolute. And so one thing I've really been liking, you know, with where he's been going with the Black Legion series and now with this book, and what we've seen with Guy Haley do with, I don't know, everything else, uh, is just that hey, things are changing. It's like, you know, Gollum has woken up and like, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is not what the Great Crusade was about. Like, you guys can't be doing this to people. You guys can't be doing this to other planets. And so it's this big, huge upheaval. And this book, Spear of the Emperor, I think just shows it 100%. It does. And so the one thing that struck me, again, because the Night Lord's books, I mean, how many times have I referenced them on this podcast? I, they're some of my favorites. The book, in the book, the main character, Talos, has two slaves. One is Septimus, the other is Octavia. Yeah, sounds familiar. Kind of like Helot Primus Secundus Tertius. Mm-hmm. And even though they give them a nice name, and I'm not going to deny that Honorata is a badass. On a scale of one to Latara Seren, she's like a nine. She's probably like just, like she's definitely looking up at Latara coming for her. Um, any human female that can back talk to Angron and live is just automatically at the top. She's also BFFs with Karn. Um, but the description, like Septimus's experience very similar to honorata's and now granted they kind of show how it's a little bit worse like when they get captured by the pure they're a little worse to their slaves than amadeus is but it's still not i mean it's still slavery not like you can just not do your job um so that's kind of it does show this great this big like look this is a very un this is an uncaring machine but i think the thing well yeah i mean sorry to interrupt you but one thing i could not get over in this book was when anna thought she saw her father you know when the Gellerfield broke and what does Amadeus do he Amadeus he he cracks her skull not once but twice mm -hmm. well one I understood the first one right because he's like it's chaos snap out of it and then when she's just like oh it's my dad because then it felt like when he was more like idiot like don't be sentimental which we'll talk more about in a second but I I think the biggest thing here is that, so the big twist of this book is that they were 100% correct. 
the Inquisition is absolutely trying to wipe out the lions. And, you know, in the beginning of the book, when Amadeus arrives and Brayak is like, why did they only send one of you? My first thought was, yeah, why would you only send one guy? Oh, I'm part of a scouting party. And I was like, oh, man. And because my husband's this way, he kept saying, he was like, why would you just send one guy? I, was like, I don't know. Like, tell me or stop teasing me. And then you get to the end. It was a cover so they could send a Calidus assassin. Holy crap. And this is all, all, because they didn't even rebel. They didn't even fight. They questioned the Inquisition, which we'll talk more about in a second and speculate as to what they would have questioned on. The Inquisition, this whole book, the Inquisition wiped out two chapters of Space Marines. One, because they were being a little overcautious and they kind of understand that. But two, because they dared question the Inquisition. That is, like, don't get me wrong. We have seen non-flattering portrayals of Inquisitors in the past. Just pick up any Space Marine book. Um, they are the CIA of the Warhammer 40k universe. They are, unless you're reading Eisenhorn or Ravener, the Jack Ryans of the Warhammer 40 <laughs> They are not heroes. The Inquisition are not good dudes. Um, and ladies. But this is just not, this is, this has to be the bleakest representation. Not that the, not that Plague War made it, and Ravener and all these other books made it look like, like the, was, the Imperium is great. It's one of the long running gags, right? That like fans of Harry Potter and Star Wars would kill to go live in their universes and he, fans of Warhammer 40k are like, no! Well, because I'd be in a not. I'd be in a hab. I, we would be hive, like, we'd be hive worlders, yeah, like, living yeah. very short, brutal lives to feed the beast. But this is, like, this is a very bleak, very bleak, very uncaring look at it. And the whole time I was reading it, I think Aaron Dinsky Bonin's gone native. <laughs> I keep like he's written chaos for so much. I, I think we know which team he's batting for now. At the same time, though, he knows that chaos is not good. I mean, look at how he wrote when Anna and Tiberia were captured. Mm -hmm. You know what happened to them. He knows that 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 they're not good. It's really one of those. What he really showed, you know, first with Amadeus cracking her skull not once but twice, which I was like, dude, Call you know him. how to be gentle. Like, you're not an idiot. Oh no. Um, you know, there's other ways you could have shaken her without smashing her head up against a wall twice. All right. But would it have been effective? He's all about efficiency. Right. So, you know, so you have that. You see that one side of how he treats his slave. Skull cracked twice because you're crying over, you think you see your dad. Versus being on the, the, the pure, where the mutants are just taking people and flaying them alive for no reason. And people are hurling themselves into the fires because they'd rather commit suicide than work another day. Right. And that was, I think that was interesting because that part, on one hand, as I was reading it, I was kind of like, does this serve the narrative really? But on the other hand, he painted such a bleak and uncaring picture of the Imperium. I felt as though he was like, oh, maybe I need to show that it really is. It is still better than the alternative. But right. Like, Actually, I took that because those were so back to back like that. It was really perfectly done because it showed what it shows is that the Imperium is the lesser of evils. Right. That it's it's uncaring, but it's not necessarily evil, evil. Except for the Inquisition, maybe a little bit arguable. That's like, do you want the do you want a giant douche? 
or do you want a shit sandwich? You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, well, yeah, exactly. And so what do you think they questioned them on? They skirt around that very delicately. They, they do. But it was something that you said earlier that made me think that maybe this could have been it. Maybe, maybe the lions questioned the order for the exterminatus. That's, that's one of my two hypotheses. I think that maybe they were like, okay, we've got to exterminate us this planet. And the lions were like, wait, do we? Do we? <laughs> yeah. Because with the Inquisition and the way that they paint them in this, that's a, that could entirely be. Because one of the things I thought was kind of interesting is that, like, again, with Amadeus cracking on Arata's skull for those two things, right, and not brooking any backtalk, kind of like that with the Inquisition. They, they really could have just asked something that mildly. The other thing that I wonder is that very early in the book, Amadeus says, I heard that. I pictured him and Thomas Holt the whole time. Uh, yeah. Amadeus, poor choice of names. ADB, I love you, but that was a poor choice of names. Um, he talks about coming for the Primarch. And Brayak responds saying, yeah, you come for the person claiming to be the Primarch. So part of me wonders if the lions maybe questioned the Inquisition on the Primarch. I wonder if they questioned either his that is this really the, the Primarch? Is it Alpharius? Um, we know the Inquisition does not like Gullimans. Some people aren't liking it. Um, part of me wonders if maybe they questioned them on something but something untoward with Gulliman. I I can't imagine. And the fact that they mention that, they never come back to it. They mm -hmm. never come back to why they don't believe that it's Gulliman. I wonder. I honestly, what I think is that they, they're one of those, because the Spears, they are part of the second generation offshoots from the Ultramarines. Mm -hmm. Them and everybody else, I swear to God. Yeah. Um, they didn't, they did get their shit fucked up during the Horus Heresy as badly as everyone else. They missed Istvan Day. Anyway. <laughs> they missed Istvan Day. God. Just saying. That's terrible. Um, it really, because when she mentioned the Calgarian rites and she said, you know, this happened to the most esteemed and bravest, she was really pumping up Calgar and they snorted. So yes. it, what made me think is they don't care much for the ultramarines for whatever reason. It could be because remember they said it's been a hundred years since they, since the rift, so they have been out of contact and they have been fighting a desperate losing battle and they're having to fight the inquisition. They're a little bitter. Mm -hmm. So part of me took it as maybe like <laughs> you guys sitting over there in ultramar because they don't know what's been going on in Ultramar. They don't know Mortarian's back with all of his dudes. So I'm sure they're imagining pre all of that, pre-Rift Ultramar, where they're all just sitting around having this really great time. Right? Because, you, you know, bitterness can do that to you. Bitterness clouds you like that. And they are definitely bitter. In fact, one of the things that I think really stood out in this book was how different Amadeus was versus Brayak. They were, I mean, first off, did you like those two guys? 
I liked Brayak. Um, Amadeus I struggled with a lot. Same. He, being the Mentor Legion, he felt like, he felt very ultramarines-y. Like, he was definitely a product of the indoctrination. And he came out, and you know the funny thing is? So in most of the books that we read, we see the space marines like Uriel, or if you read the Iron Snakes book, or um, the name of the book that just totally escaped my mind. But usually we see these, the ultra, we see the space marines who have a little bit more personality, and we see the guys who are the uptight, by the book, by the letter of the law guys, but they're usually background characters, right? And you're always like, oh, that guy's stiff. This one started the stiff. And so it was kind of interesting. So I was like, oh, this is like one of the, like a true space Marine and he's not very likable. And Brayak was kind of funny and he was really nice to Honorata and he immediately had a little bit more respect for her, I would argue. Oh, right. Because when Amadeus introduces them, he's like, so Briac bends down to their level, almost like a like an adult meeting a child. Yes, it's like you bend down. It's like, what's your real name? Well, and I loved when um, after they kill the rebellion leader, and he's like, "Yeah, which one of you was shooting and shouting our war cry?" And Amadeus is like, "She's going to be reprimanded," and he's like. Yeah, anyways, Honorata, do you want the sword? Right. <laughs> he rewards her for it, right? Like, and I I loved that about him. I liked that. They actually reminded me kind of of the Space Wolves in that they were very, very barbaric. They were very, well, not barbaric, but very much a product of their tribe, a product of the planet they grew up you on. Know- I haven't read anything with the Space Wolves except for Acadia Stands because a couple of them were uh, pretty big figures. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a couple. There's a lot of them that were really big figures in, in that book. But even though I've never really read the Space Wolves, I kind of know a little bit about them mostly, again, from memes and from, from talking to you. I learned everything about Warhammer 40k from memes, I swear to God. It's not the worst way. No, <laughs> there are worse ways, I'm sure. Yes. But they, they kind of made me think of more like like the space wolf version of the ultramarines yeah kind of um since you're going through the horus heresy prospero burns phenomenal book you're really going to get to know the wolves and you're going to love them yeah well i i figured that you know when they come and burn an entire planet but you really get to learn their culture and and how they are and how the space wolves yeah, like what they come from and what their products have and what their beliefs are, and it's really cool. But it was interesting to see, because Brayak felt more like that traditional, this is the character we would follow, because he is he is more personable, he is more likable, and I liked the cannibal guy, but more personable, more... Actually, I think I'm starting to think that I have a type, because... And Brayak actually had a spear. <laughs> An amazing spear. But Morcott reminded me of Lior, who reminded me of Zarl. So ADB and I both have a type, apparently. Um, I liked, it was interesting to see them juxtaposed. And I kept telling my husband, actually, I was like, this would have been so much more interesting in the beginning if we would have followed Brayak. Because for being called Spears of the Emperor, our main 
our main space marine dude doesn't become one until the last 10 pages. And it's really more about him and Honorata. It's actually, I mean, really, the story is Honorata's story. Mm-hmm. Which, again, do you like her? I go back and forth, to be totally honest. Um, because she bored me a lot in the beginning. Um, it really wasn't until they were captured that I started to come around on, on Anna. And uh, no, no, that's not true. It was when Amadeus cracked her skull that I came around on, on Anna. Cause I was like, like, dude, seriously. And I think it was, I was also around the time when she was having the flashback to why she tried to become a Helot in the first place. And which is just like a, just in one, sad to say like another horrible story out of the Habs and, in the world of the Imperium. Yeah. Well, I I really liked her. She's definitely a product of what she is. Well, absolutely. He wrote, at least what I would imagine, clearly I have no frame of reference, he wrote what I would imagine a slave like that would feel like. She's she clearly doesn't love her lot in life, but she has accepted it. And the part that killed me is when after they get back off the ship and she demands to stay with Amadeus. Mm-hmm. She demands to stay with him. And you can feel that she very much cares for him. Yes. She slave to him, but she cares for him. And I and love she chastises Kartosh. It's like, oh, I see you're already flirting with, you know, Morkant and, and the Spears and, you know, not serving your master. Yes. Which, in hindsight, made so much more sense. Because that'll get you closer to the lions. So it made a lot more sense. Um, but I really liked that portrayal of her. And it made it very interesting. But it did in the very, in the beginning, it made her kind of hard to like in that I'm going to be really honest. For the first half of the book, I was like, this is super fascinating. She's She was a boring character. For the first half of the book, she really was. It's not until you get to see. She kills a space marine. She has an eye that explodes people, right? She's very competent. She's a fighter. She's very loyal. You start to see all these things about her that, oh, this is so neat. But, which was neat. It felt kind of like a like a lump of sugar not a lump of sugar because she wasn't bad but you know it was this oh there is more to you you do have depth yeah because she for the first part of it you were just like she was very much a product of Amadeus he's very dry very perfunctory she's very dry which I think made it interesting because again you don't usually see that type of a character I'm not sure it was the best choice <laughs> I liked her. She's a total badass. But it took me a long time mm-hmm. to warm up to her. The same with Amadeus, really. Well, it's, it's after Amadeus became a primaris. He developed right. a personality. You know, he was actually making jokes and they were all shocked. And he was Which kind I of. I loved. Yes. When they were like, you said this guy was really dull and boring. It's like, oh, you guys. <laughs> this something just dawned on me actually as we were talking about this that's your first exposure to the officio assassinatorum isn't it 
The Calidus? Yes. What did you think? Uh, well, the fact that the contorting bodies, ew. Um, just because I could almost feel like I could, I could just hear the sinew and bones, just, you know, kind of crack in and out of place. And, um, it disgusted me, to be totally honest. Um, I have been kind of turning around on the Inquisition, um, thanks to Dark Imperium, actually. Uh, that's kind of what started it. Because the only thing I've read about the Inquisition was, you know, with the Grey Knights, <laughs> and um and uh and Eisenhorn and and Ravener and what I've learned from Eisenhorn and Ravener is that I don't trust the Ordo Hereticus at all. Um they're, they're witch hunters in every sense of that word. So right. and so and I so and then with, you know, Gulliman obviously starting a war against the Inquisition, uh, which I think he should rightfully so. Um and then this, I'm just like, like, it absolutely disgusted me. Like, it made me, like, you know, I'd always joke about, I was like, oh, I could see me being a rogue inquisitor someday. Oh, no, I want nothing to do with the Inquisition. Because my idea of the Inquisition was always, like you said, the Jack Ryans of, of, of the CIA. You know, those people. And I just started reading James Swallow's uh, Blood Angels Omnibus. And holy shit, I've been cussing a lot on this episode. But there's an Inquisitor on there who's from the Order of Hereticus, and he is a horrible person. Yeah. Just absolutely horrible. And especially what he's doing to this whole Blood Angels chapter. He's totally twisting them to do what he wants them to do. He just totally... He had all the servitors in this uh, interrogation room suddenly go to sleep, tortured this uh, word bearer, so he got what he wanted out of him and then uh, killed him with something he shouldn't have even had in the room. And just as he killed him, he arranged his hands in a way. So he's actually holding like this shard and he woke up the servitors and he was like, oh my God, look, he kills himself. And they're all like, oh yeah, he did. Like you've been awake this whole time. Like, you know, this. It's like, oh yes, we've recorded this whole thing. He, he just killed himself. Totally changed all of that. It. So one of the things that I always joke about is that if you're watching a movie, there's two types of movies, the feds and the cops. If the cop is a main character, the cops are the good guys who just want to solve the crimes. The feds are trying to obfuscate everything and they're evil and crooked. If a fed is the main character, the cops are dumb and bumbling and idiots and they're messing up the feds investigation and the feds are the good guys. And then, really, unless it's a Jack Ryan movie, the CIA, I think we can all agree the CIA are dicks in, like, all of these movies. Um, well, but just it, real life, to be honest. Right. <laughs> but it reminds me a lot of that. If that, if the, if the Inquisitor, if an Inquisitor, can't talk, if an Inquisitor is the main character, well, then they're really a good people. Like, yeah, there's some bad stuff in the Inquisition, but, you know, like, we're all just trying to fight the best we can, darn it. And, like, literally every other book, these people are bad, okay? <laughs> like, so it's kind of funny. And the Calidus, I really loved that because obviously the most famous Calidus assassin is Shen. And one of the things that I've never really liked about Shen is that they have gone to great lengths, especially in the Horus Heresy, like such great lengths to make it very, very clear that Conrad Kerr's allowed Shen to kill him. He welcomed her. And 
famous video of him welcoming her, but he also told his sons, let her come in, do not fight her, do not let her get away. The Night Lord's book, they make it clear that Talos goes and then kills her, and he she does give him a little bit of a run for her the money, mm-hmm. but not that much of a run for the money, which makes sense. Obviously, very few people, human beings, are going to like stand up fighting against a space marine. But, like, I never really liked that, that they were like, oh yeah, this, this woman's like, the Calidus are so awesome. Uh, they gotta let her get away with this. So I really liked seeing a situation where they didn't, where it's not like, oh, we just let her get away with this. Calidus got a Calidus. And you got to see one of them in their full glory with big air quotes because, man, fuck that girl. Well, and she said, you should, she said, I'm gonna be a hero among my sisters point on that how would your sisters ever know you're not getting the message through the rift pumpkin unless unless the inquisition really has been holding up things coming through the warp oh maybe you know who knows at this point who knows at this point nothing would surprise me because you didn't know there was an assassin, an Inquisition assassin. You knew that something was up with Kartash, but you weren't exactly sure what it was. Right. Until the lion's head came off. And even then, like, I read probably that paragraph, like, over and over. I did, too, because it talked about his head going so <laughs> slowly and his body going over backward. And I was like, because it said, what it is said, going on here? Because he said, okay, that's good. And then his head toppled forward. And what I thought it was, was, like, he passed out. Right. You know, like, oh, no, he's injured or something like that. Right. And then they're like, oh, his head came off. I'm like, head came off. Right. Well, and, oh, God, I can't find the page on which it happens. But it, the thing that was, yeah, I had to read it multiple times because it's just the way that he describes it is, as you said, he's talking and then they talk about his head going forward Mm -hmm. and his body going backward. And I had to read that line like three times because I was like, wait, I, I can't, I couldn't envision how he was moving. And then it dawned on me that he just got killed. Right. And it's, it's very, I liked it in hindsight. Again, when I read it, I was like, this is so confusing. But then in hindsight, I loved it because it was just as confusing for us as it was for all of them because everyone i mean pandemonium breaks out because they're all confused they have no idea what's going on mm-hmm. yeah and they immediately think that it's uh amadeus well yeah it's one of his servants his excuse me it was hell at primus well but but they didn't know it was yet they didn't know who did it that's true too but yeah i mean none of the stuff looked good Right. And of course, they did kind of figure that he, this person came with you, dude. And I loved it because then it all goes back to, you know, making sense. Okay. So it's page 273. Because Briac says, You insult us by even asking. We'll sail at once. Akeen grinned and took the offered hand. Then his head rolled forward and his body toppled back. I was like, Yeah. What? Well, what? because they say that, and yeah, I was like, what? And well, then the next line so, is if you're... But I'm forward. imagining, though, head rolled forward like this, and then you pass out, you'd go right. back. That's Wrong. totally what I thought. 
yeah, like, you know, that move, that was exactly what I was pitching too. And the reason that it made it also confusing too is that the next words are, if you're reading these words and have never seen a space green in the flesh, she doesn't immediately be like, dude got killed. <laughs> she like goes into this thing about like how, look, I need you to understand what exactly I'm explaining here. So it's not until like I read those chapters over and over and then the next line in the next section on page 274 was Akeen's head tumbled from his shoulders and his headless body began to fall. Which is when I was like, wait, what? And I went back. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, because you're like, whoa, wait, what just happened? And then it all makes sense. But I loved it because again, that sense of confusion that they're all feeling, it was very well written. Because now we all have that, we have that sense of confusion too. Um, that I just, again, like the last hundred, arguably the last 40 or 50 pages of this book are just a tumble roll down into, and I just could not put them down. I loved mm -hmm. it. Still a slow burn. You what? Still a slow burn. <laughs> now, here's the question. We know that things are going less than well because of the narration. What happens next? Does this become a series? Do we get to find out more about how they're losing? Because remember, she says that there's a moment right before she describes Akeem dying that uh, Amadeus, or the warrior formerly known as Amadeus, Varane, is like, or what story are you going to finish? And she's like, oh, well, I'm going to talk about Akeem. And he's like, what about this? And she's like, no, that's a story for another time. Is Aaron Dembski Bowden going to write yet another trilogy? I have to say, um, if he does, I'm not that interested. <laughs> it's what a, if he picks up the pacing well no but here's the thing and something i talked to you about and i think i really discovered with warhammer 40k in general i just don't care about the chapters that are not the original 18. Ah! it's okay iron snakes don't listen to her i've never read iron snakes so i can't comment so on that but, like, I've read, you know, so many collections of short stories. Right. And um, the Black Templars, I find them interesting. Like, maybe, but they're kind of weird. They're just really, really angry. They're the angry Marines. But for whatever reason, like, with these short story anthologies, they write a lot about... And they'll write Chaos Marines, which I kind of like that, because I like kind of reading about the other side. Um... They write a lot about those, a lot about the Black Templars, and a lot of Flesh Terrors. And I have to say, I don't care about the Flesh Terrors. Well, that's just not human nature. <laughs> I don't care about them. I don't care about the Blood Drinkers. I don't care about the... Just an omnibus bird. Okay, it's like, I didn't even know there was Blood Drinkers until, was it Black Legion? Yeah, when he's like, hmm, I wonder how they got those names. I love how sassy he is. Um, yeah, I so generally I'm kind of with you because generally I find a lot of times it's an excuse for authors to be like, I want to write space marines, but I don't want to have to like worry about actual ultramarine stuff. So here's the um, the mortifactors microphone chapter, and then they just you know yeah the mortifactors something like that the right? nova marines this mentor legion out of nowhere um 
the emperor's spears the celestial lions yeah i'm just i didn't really about it was very sad with the lions but i don't want to like i don't want to book exploring the lions like i'm good okay the inquisition's killing you because you asked a question i kind of want to know what question you asked but i'm good other than that but i want to see more of Freyak and Varane. i like my book it took a while but i liked it now but it is it is officially my doom your doom oh your dune Okay, yeah. I thought you said your doom. I was like, how? And yes, I'm talking about the Alan Smithy version of Dune and not the David Lynch version. Movie humor. Anyways. Um, okay. So yeah. so, yeah, I'm glad we read it. Yes, I'm, 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 I'm very glad I read it. Uh, I, gosh, you know, actually I was about to say, like, it'll be good to get back to something more normal, but our next book is... Uh, as we attempt to follow the many adventures of the Alpha Legion. Um, I can't wait to become Alpharius. I'm already Alpharius. <laughs> One of my favorite memes that I saw recently was of them going Alpharius this and Alpharius this. Why is nobody Omegan? <laughs> it's like, oh, Omegan. Omegan's um, not even Omegan half the time. I know. <laughs> I know. I just imagine they all have identity issues. But yeah, so we're not even getting back into normalcy there. And then our next one's Apocalypse, which is, hey, you should be thr This is one of the original legions, and we're going to be reading something about the Imperial Fists. So, see? Well, so no, I'm stoked about reading about the Alpha Legion, because, I, because I just finished reading Legion from Horus Heresy, and oh my god, I am like 100% behind this legion. I love them. They crack me up. Um, they are, I think I said this, like in my recent horse hearsay article, like they're the definition of the end justifies the means. You can't make an omelet that breaks yeah. eggs. <laughs> oh yeah. They're sometimes, I, sometimes they feel a little bit like the Rube Goldberg personified. Okay. Has, this is true. On schemes and on, on schemes, which those schemes were all schemes for this scheme. I'm like, Oh my god! I guess I imagine. Actually, remind me of the um, the uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia Pepe Silva yard map. Like I imagine, there's just like three Alpha Legion guys who have to have like a board with like strings leading to be like, this is what's going on right now. Somebody knows. So yes, our next book. And also has like, who's the real Alpharius today? <laughs> right. I just imagine at this point they're just like we're Alpharius and they all believe it. I'm Alpharius. No, no, no. For realsies, though. Me too. Anyways, do you want to take us out, Gary? Yes, I will. See, I always keep imagining like the scene from Spartacus. I'm yeah. Alpharius. Yes. Basically, then Reboot comes. He's like, I'm gonna kill Alpharius. Who's Alpharius? And I'm like, I am. Anyway, I'm gonna kill Alpharius. Again. <laughs> I'm just going to kill all the Alfariuses. Alfarii? I guess it would be Alfarii if we're going to be all grammatically correct about it. All right. Well, you Bye. have listened to the Warhammer 40k book club regarding the Spear of the Emperor. Be sure to join us for our next book where we're all Alfarius. All the time. Shroud of Night, written by Andy Clark. And I do have to say, um, if you don't follow Andy Clark on Twitter, you should. 
his avatar is Wembley from Fraggle Rock, and that's all I got to say. Um, but please note that we are an unofficial book club, and we're not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website at wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those wonderful things to the vidcast on YouTube or to the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.